You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. I am your host, your pal, and the kid copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. This show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, like Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever it is. Or you can ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. Today's episode is brought to you by Rock. Auto, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them that Locked On sent you. And today I want to start with a story, as I have been doing all summer. We're getting down to the end of these now. But I want to tell you the story of two twins, Eron and Stacy Keeley. Eron goes by Spencer, but I'm going to call him Eron for this because I think that's only like his friends who call him Spencer. Uh, and Stacy Keeley, who we are familiar with, he tried out for the team in 2019. So Stacy Keeley himself had a bit of a decision to make coming out of high school because he was a track star. He was really quick and he was also a very good football player. He played like wide receiver and tight end, I think, uh, for his high school team, which is funny. Now he's a defensive end, so he's put on quite a bit of quite a bit of muscle. We will get to that. Uh, but he basically had to decide, am I going to pursue the NFL or am I going to pursue the Olympics? And even though he thought that he would have an easier time getting to the Olympics than the NFL, like the NFL looked further away, he decided to uh, decline a track scholarship at Nebraska, which is close to where he grew up. And instead he goes to South Dakota State so he can be with his twin Eron. And these two are like inseparable. They are identical twins. And if you know, or if you are an identical twin, you kind of understand the bond that comes with that, the finish each other's sentences, uh, the, the just like attached at the hip nature. And so they are, you know, fast friends and perfect brothers. But when they go to SCSU, they both kind of don't like the vibe. They both don't like the, the atmosphere in the community. And they actually decide to leave after either a semester or a year, but pretty quick. And they end up only being able to get into community colleges after this because they left their college too quickly and uh, they, you know, they aren't able to like get into a transfer anywhere else. So they have to go through the JUCO route. Both of them do. Uh, he ends up going to Iowa Western. Stacy goes to Iowa Western Community College and Iran, it takes a little bit of time for him to find his new place and ends up being at San Bernardino Valley Community College. And unfortunately, this is the first time in their whole lives that they have to be separate and they have to be long distance. So they have to learn to, you know, Skype call each other every day and, and keep in touch and put in that extra effort. And that's like a new challenge that Stacy Keeley has to go through. But Stacy's story to the NFL does not end there, where he just goes to the community college, gets into a school and then finds it. Because, and I think to really do this justice, I have to back up and talk about what happened to the University of Alabama, Birmingham. So UAB for a long time, and UAB fans will tell you all about it, uh, they've kind of thought that the board of directors for the like University of Alabama group is against them. And maybe somebody there just hates them. Maybe they're just incompetent. Maybe the conspiracy is true that they like don't want another Alabama program to like overshadow the Crimson Tide as if UAB would ever threaten that. Uh, but for whatever reason, there have been a number of moments where UAB's football program was kind of sabotaged intentionally or otherwise. They had a deal for a better practice field in 2014 that never got uh, that never got approved. They had a chance at Jimbo Fisher, but the funding was pulled at the last second, they've kind of had a lot of weird moments. And it all culminated when 
for the 2015 season, UAB football shut down. You probably remember that. They did not have a football program in 2015. All their opponents rescheduled, everybody kind of uh, adjusted in the conf- in Conference USA, and that was kind of that. But obviously, since, since there hasn't been a college football program shutting down like that in decades, there was a ton of noise about it. And, and all the fans got into a huge uproar, and they basically uh, PR'd their way back into pressuring the university to reinstate the football program. So in 2016, UAB reopened, but they weren't ready to play games yet, right? All of the players had transferred. I think I've actually told uh, the story of some players that needed to transfer away that have made it through the Vikings at some point over the years. Everybody had to leave and kind of find their new chapter, and that meant that when it was after the 2015 season, when they decided, okay, we're going to kick it back up, they didn't have any football players. So they had to go poach what they could, and that is what brought UAB to Stacey Keeley a community college player that was good enough to be, you know, part of like SDSU, you know, D2 ball, but was obviously because of the situation uh, at South Dakota State and with his brother and stuff and, and not wanting to stay there, he wasn't exactly available to transfer into any other schools. And so for both UAB and Stacy Keeley, it was kind of a perfect marriage of two parties kind of looking for their redemption, looking for their fresh start and an opportunity to be taken seriously, let alone succeed. And the UAB program since that has been pretty good. Their first two years, they go to a bowl game. Uh, I think they were like 11-3 and three in 2018, which was Stacey Keeley's uh, senior year. And things worked out pretty well from then on out. Uh, and what's, what's really nice for Stacy Keeley is that he was too small to play defensive line. But he had to play defensive line at this new program. And they spent all of 2016, because obviously everybody's so new, uh, they spent all of 16 just being like a practice year, a warm-up year kind of, where they would just, it was one big giant training camp. They didn't play any games. They weren't ready to kind of go back into it. And then 2017 was when they actually started playing. And for most players, that's kind of a disadvantage. You lose a year of your kind of precious college career. Most players only play four years. You lose a quarter to that just because your program couldn't get its crap together. But coming from community college, this is a fine opportunity that was better than what Stacy Keeley would have had if he just stayed at Western Iowa the whole time. And he also gets a chance to put on a bunch of weight, move to defensive end, and be the disruptive guy that he wants to be. So coming off of UAB... And this is a program, of course, of a whole bunch of reclamation projects and the kinds of guys with weird stories that I think the Vikings like to to gravitate towards. So the Vikings are interested, and they give them a rookie tryout. Now, if you haven't heard the difference between that and like getting a camp invite or being an undrafted free agent, the difference is there's rookie mini camp every year. I mean, except this year, but there's usually rookie mini camp every year, which is like a weekend or two or three days where uh, they kind of orient the rookies and they do a lot of drills. But with your class of rookies, you know, your draft class plus. 10 or 11 undrafted free agents, a lot of times that's not enough to do all the drills. You need more players to actually like have it all set up right. So you basically invite a whole bunch of local kids and a whole bunch of undrafted free agents that didn't get a shot and other players you think are going to be at least good enough to keep up in a drill to orient all your real rookies. And for those players, it becomes an audition of sorts. If they can outplay someone, there's nothing stopping the team from being like, yeah, I know you're only here to kind of fill space and be a camp arm or whatever, but we actually kind of like you and we're going to sign you and cut this other guy. And that's the way that a lot of Vikings have gotten there, have found their place here. This was Adam Thielen, this was Chad Beebe, and this was Stacey Keeley. He came in for a rookie tryout 
They ended up cutting Adam Biznuati, who you probably don't remember. He was an offensive lineman that was going to try out for the team last year. They kick him off, and he makes it into training camp. And he has a pretty good preseason. But if you remember the uh, defensive line group, the defensive end group from last year was just, like, unreasonably stacked. And then they kept six defensive tackles on top of it. But you had Griffin, you had Daniel Hunter, you had Odenabo wasn't going anywhere. You had Stephen Weatherly, who wasn't going anywhere. Uh, and you even had guys like Carter Schultz, who, was, who played really, really well absolute crime that he didn't get another chance somewhere even didn't even get to go to the XFL uh and and you had Stacy Keeley who played rosterably but there just wasn't any room but they managed to sneak him on the practice squad and keep him around and now he gets to take another crack at this in 2020 with a lot of those really good players out of the picture Everson Griffin currently not on the team Stephen Weatherly off the team even Carter Schultz currently not on the team and so suddenly there's actually an opening here at edge rusher to make it now he's got to beat out guys like DJ Wanham and some other uh you know new additions to that defensive end, like Anthony Zettel and Eddie Yarbrough, but that is an open competition, and he might now have his chance to break through and make the roster. Now, I'm going to get into the uh, Dalvin Cook part of this in a second. I know we've been talking a lot about Dalvin Cook, but I, I have a really cool angle, and I'm excited to share it with you. But first, I want to talk to you about Rock Auto. So there is a lot of complexity to cars nowadays. Not only, I mean, if you don't know what you're doing, you try to open the hood, you'll never know what you're looking at. But there's also so many makes and so many models, it might be hard to figure out what part you even need in the first place. And that's where rockauto.com comes in. It is a website that can aggregate all of that information for you. You just kind of enter in your make and your model and your year, and they will come up with options for whatever parts you need. Everything from brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, new carpet, new battery, whatever you need. And instead of brick-and-mortar traditional auto parts stores that might not have the right thing in stock and are going to upcharge you a ton because what are you going to do, drive your broken car to another competitor? Rock Auto can give you quite the discount. You can save a lot of money. I actually had an experience recently where the battery on my car died, I needed a new one, and, and I didn't know about Rock Auto until I had already spent about $60 more than I had to. So go to rockauto.com for their amazing selection, their reliably low prices, and all of the car parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. And if you could tell them that Lockdown sent you, that would be just lovely. Okay, so now for the segments about Dalvin Cook, and I want to start by saying the French Revolution was kind of insane. And I promise this is going to all come around. I hope you trust me on that by now. But especially for the people who wrote a lot during that time, i.e. the aristocrats, there was a lot going on, and it was pretty scary, even for people outside of France, like Edmund Burke, who was an English noble. Uh, but there was another revolution that happened during his lifetime uh, across the pond. There was an English civil war that happened before both of those things. And all of it had a very similar tone in that it was pro-democracy. And it's largely credited with the spread of democracy across Europe and, you know, spurred by the success of the United States and all that stuff. And so for a noble who's very used to essentially having more say in what the country does than your average peasant, that's kind of threatening. That's something that you maybe don't really like very much, because the vote of John D. Rockefeller is worth the same as the vote of John Q. Public. And John D. Rockefellers are used to it not quite being that way. And so that is contextually important to understand about the writings of a guy like Edmund Burke. Now, the prevailing economic theory of the time, and by the way, there's a video that explain this, explains this way better than I can that I'll link in the show notes, 
But basically, the prevailing economic theory of the time, or a competing one with Edmund Burke, was the labor theory of value. It was Adam Smith's big claim to fame. Later, it was adopted by, like, Karl Marx and stuff. Uh, but it basically said that the value of a good is innate to that good. There is a price that that good should be, and that value is created by the cost of the materials and the cost of the labor that made it, the hours, the skill of the labor. I like to use a steak dinner analogy. A steak dinner, how much does that cost? $30, $40, $50? That's kind of decided by the quality of the beef and the quality of the cook who made it. But Edmund Burke's idea was a little bit different. Uh, and one of the things he wrote about was challenging this by saying, well, actually, the price of that steak dinner is kind of how much I'm willing to pay for it, right? If you give me a crappy steak dinner, but for whatever reason I, I really like it, and I give you 60 bucks for it, that's a $60 steak dinner, and you're going to get 60 bucks, and the way that economics works is going to reflect that more. And these two ideas have competed for 250 years, and everybody argues about them a ton. But this dichotomy kind of reflects a lot of the political debate that goes on in the modern era, because Edmund Burke's ideas that were really good at protecting that status quo, protecting those who are in power from populist movements, evolved into what we kind of now understand as modern conservatism. And it picked up a lot of other ideas along the way, right? Somebody else would come along and say, I like Edmund Burke's idea, and I'd also add this, and I'd also add that. But if you trace back, if you took what you would call now like a fiscal conservative, some Republican senator or something, and you took the economic policy that they advocate for, and you trace back where they got their idea and where that guy got that idea, and who all of those people learn from, you probably end up back at Edmund Burke. And so what I want to do is I want to apply that dichotomy between where does the value of a good come from? And by good, in this case, in the NFL perspective, a good is a player, right? And the production of that player, the aid that that player provides toward winning a game— how do we put a price tag on that value? Is it what a buyer, or I guess a team in this case, is willing to spend? Or is there some inherent value in a player like Dalvin Cook that we can then define and create the price point of? And I'm sure we want to do that, but can we? Or is it always going to be Christian McCaffrey is worth what the Carolina Panthers paid him? I sometimes see a lot of takes that are along this spectrum, and I think it's an interesting way to think about stuff like, well, does he deserve to be paid that much? That word gets thrown around, does he really, does he deserve it? And that the answer to that could be yes, could be no, could be it doesn't matter. It just matters what the team is going to pay him, what the team thinks he quote-unquote deserves. But at the same time, it's not maybe necessarily a point of deserve or not deserve. Is payment a reward for a, a job well done? Or is payment an allocation of resources based on what configuration we think is going to give us the best chance of winning the game? And these two ideologies, I'm not sure if all 32 teams would agree on it. So whatever, wherever you fall on that spectrum is perfectly valid, but I think it's cool to bring it up as a, a spectrum upon which we are going to kind of argue this Dalvin Cook question and maybe try to parse the difference between what we maybe think a running back is worth versus how good Dalvin Cook is versus what the Vikings are actually going to pay him. And I think somewhere in this spectrum between the good the, the value of a Dalvin Cook lies with how good Dalvin Cook is versus the value of a Dalvin Cook lies with how much a team is willing to pay him, like there is some value to be found along that spectrum. So when I come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about how da Dalvin Cook fits into this idea. 
Okay, so that was an interesting little foray into the history of like modern political conservatism and how it kind of takes its foothold in like from, you know, the the 1700s and and like royalists in the time when monarchy was being challenged and how that kind of evolved into today, but I think going back to the old idea and not tacking on all the other things that have kind of uh, become the nature of like political conservatism today is probably a better idea. So let's stick with the simplistic debate of where does the value of something come from? And economically, this is still a huge debate. Uh, and, and we'll not, you know, tack on all of the other stuff that would just make this a politics podcast. But basically, the value of a good, the two sides here are, is it because of the labor that made it? i.e. is a value of a steak dinner decided by how good that chef is and how good that beef is? Or is the value of a steak dinner decided by its reviews on Yelp and how much a consumer is willing to pay? And if somebody with a gajillion dollars comes in and says, I'll pay you 60 bucks every day for that steak dinner, is that now a a $60 steak dinner? And I think the way that this translates into the NFL is take a player like Dalvin Cook, who I think is a top three running back in this league. I think I've said that a bunch of times. I think Christian McCaffrey is probably the only one that's like above him. And then I don't know, take your pick. A lot of people are saying like Nick Chubb, who's like his breakout year is coming or something, or people can say Ezekiel Elliott or Saquon Barkley. But I, I think Dalvin Cook belongs in that category. And I think in a reasonable list, he wouldn't end up any lower than third. And I am fully prepared to be a total homer and fight you online about that. So please come at me if you disagree. But I think that gives us, like Dalvin Cook gives us a really interesting way to look at this particular dichotomy in the NFL because the labor is really good, but teams are not willing to pay him. And that is going to make this a very revealing litmus test for which of these sides really takes place in the NFL. And Christian McCaffrey was a litmus test for this as well. The Panthers paid him $16 million a year in a big giant contract in a climate where you have Todd Gurley flaming out of contract of, of a big extension, Devonte Freeman flaming out of a big extension. Uh, we'll see what happens with Ezekiel Elliott in the next couple of years, but I could see that happening. Leonard Fournette, there is a lot of bad running back contract out there that teams are very openly regretting and cutting people before and taking a bunch of dead money or trying to trade people for pennies on the dollar. Uh, David Johnson was another one, of course, part of that infamous DeAndre Hopkins trade. But that's, I think, what made the Christian McCaffrey deal so baffling to a lot of people. A lot of people who, I think, believe in the Edmund Burke part of this in the NFL, where it's really what teams are willing to pay you. And teams clearly, as according to all of those other ideas, aren't really willing to pay running backs that much, but the Panthers are. And so they did it because Christian McCaffrey might be the best running back in the league. I don't think you would get laughed off the street for saying that take. And so Dalvin Cook, who at least in 2019 was around the same productivity, the same efficiency, and I think the same quality of running back as Christian McCaffrey, we are putting the Vikings in the same situation the Panthers were. But the Vikings, at least according to the reporting that's out there, aren't willing to pay Dalvin Cook $16 million a year. Last I saw, they offered him eight or nine, and that's kind of what led to Dalvin Cook holding out. Now, if I had to guess... I would actually guess that the Vikings are going to capitulate a little bit and pay Dalvin Cook more than I'm going to be comfortable with. I can't wait for that episode. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they'll they'll offer him $10 million and he'll say no and he'll sit out the whole year and go hit free agency and get nothing. But if I had to guess right now, I think they're going to give him a contract. This is no sourced information on this. I don't have a source inside the league. I'm not citing any beat reporters or anything. This is just my hunch based on uh, how the Vikings typically behave, how they've talked about him, and just kind of me reading the tea leaves as much as any of you can. 
But for me, I think the labor is king in the NFL. I, I do. I think, like, take a guy like Trey Waynes. The Vikings could not afford to keep him, and somebody else paid him, and he got paid what he wanted to uh, because he was that good at cornerback, at least according to uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. And it, it also creates this really interesting thing of, in order to have a discussion about this, we have to all agree on how good a given player is. If you don't agree with me that Dalvin Cook is a top three running back, then my whole argument kind of falls apart. And if he is, say, a top seven, top eight running back, then the actual number that we're talking about here kind of falls by the wayside. And the difference between if you're paying for how good the player is versus if you're paying for how much people are willing to pay running backs, the difference between those two amounts aren't going to be that big of a deal if you think Dalvin Cook is like, I don't know, top 10, or if you think he's like just kind of good, not great, which there are some people out there who do and sure you, your wrong opinion is valid. <laughs> But kidding aside, I go back and forth on this, and I think that if we, like, once we see the Dalvin Cook contract, I kind of want to revisit this point, because even just, I'm just thinking more about the Trey Waynes example I just cited, and on the other hand, teams are willing to pay cornerbacks a lot, and maybe it is a matter of, you know, positional value kind of trumping the actual quality of the player to a certain degree where an average cornerback is going to get paid more than a really good center or something like that, or a good guard. Or shoot, let's take it to the extreme, right? Like Justin Tucker is going to get paid less than every team's like average defensive tackle who or average off-ball linebacker who nobody's heard of or whatever. So I really go back and forth on this, but I think if the Vikings do capitulate and pay Dalvin Cook a lot, then it's going to be kind of evidence toward at least the NFL operating uh like under the labor theory of value a little bit more and that can maybe help us predict other contracts later, at least in the way that the Vikings operate. And that, say, you know, Brian O'Neill has a Pro Bowl season in 2020 or something like that. They're probably going to be way more willing to pay him as an offensive lineman than, than if it were all just about the consumer and the power of who has the money. And I think the general fluidity, the elasticity, to use an economic term, of the salary cap is a factor here because the salary cap mostly is a very malleable thing. It is not a, uh, like it is in Madden. It is kind of this hard limit and you don't get a lot of room to fudge contracts and deal with guarantees or do weird cap shenanigans. But in the NFL, you can do all sorts. I mean, we talk about Rob Brzezinski and how he does this all the time and, you know, changing, uh, manipulating signing bonuses and manipulating guaranteed stuff and restructuring contracts and getting people to take pay cuts and dealing with incentives and non-incentives and every little advantage they can get. And by the time you're done doing all that work, you can manufacture a whole bunch of extra cap space. I mean, we've seen the Saints be up against the cap for like 10 years and still field competitive teams and be able to have competitive off-seasons. And a lot of that's been aided by a few good drafts. Uh, but I still think that the actual salary cap isn't as limiting of a factor as we think it is, which kind of undermines the idea of the power of a consumer in the NFL. Whereas if you take a general economic thing, like your ability to buy steak dinners, well, if you don't make that much money, you can't buy many steak dinners. and You can't exactly have as much of an influence on this as you normally would. Which kind of means that the people with the money, the people with all the all of the ability to buy steak dinners, are going to be kind of the ones deciding how much steak dinners cost. And I think there are some economic markets that do behave that way, like expensive cars or diamonds or other things that like generally only a certain kind of person is going to have access to. I think you can make a better argument for that whole thing, especially something like art, where the materials for art are very cheap and the actual skill of art is unbelievably subjective and like 
hard to argue over, but if somebody at an auction is going to bid a million dollars on that piece of art that's just a, you know, a, a red square and a green square and that's it and they decide they want it, then that thing is worth a million dollars and that's kind of how it works. Versus something like a banana, where it's going to be a little bit closer to, you know, all right, the actual seed for banana costs this much, the labor costs this much per hour to pick bananas and ship them and blah, 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 and this is about the cost of a banana, and when you buy a banana, you're covering that cost plus a little extra on top for the grocery store and its staff and the people facilitating this whole thing, and that's kind of how the price of a banana is going to be created. And so I think both of these things definitely exist in different markets, and depending on what market you're talking about, you will get a different answer, which is why it's so interesting to me to look at the NFL through this lens, and especially to look at Dalvin Cook through this lens, because Dalvin Cook's labor is elite, and his actual value to teams on account of being a running back is almost as low as it can be. And so you get this great contrast between these two ideas, and depending on his price, we are going to see a very good example of how those ideas interact. We saw it with how the Carolina Panthers work. The Vikings might have a different attitude toward this, and at least from a nerdy academic perspective, I'm kind of excited just to see what it's going to be. And even if I disagree with it, it's still going to be fun to study, because I'm a giant nerd, and I guess that's just how it works for me. So uh, anyways, that's going to do it for this episode of Live. Locked on Vikings. Thank you guys so much for hanging out. I will see you all tomorrow. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. The show is on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. It's available anywhere you find your favorite podcast, or you can ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. Today's show is brought to you by RockAuto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts you'll ever need. Go to RockAuto.com and tell them that Locked on sent you. And as always, skull.